The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Hello and welcome. This is episode 59 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 29th of March 2010. My name is Edwin Herman and if you're new to the show, welcome on board. If you're a regular listener, then you'll know my co-host is Brett King. He joins us over Skype. Welcome along, Brett. Howdy. Brett, did you turn your lights off for Earth Hour? Completely forgot about it. <laughs> oh well, don't have television. Nothing reminds me. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, it seems to be getting uh, more and more coverage though. As it's the fourth one, I think uh, we've had now, fourth year running. You know, I was actually at work. I was I was working very late, and uh, apparently a security guard came along and asked me to make sure we the lights go out because there's a mandate for the building I was in. It's a nine story building and stands up on a hill. It's on top of a hill that overlooks the whole city, so everyone can see it. And there's a mandate that that building has to have a complete blackout for the duration. So I was working away in the dark. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's not OSH compliant, though. No, I'm pretty sure that would not be OSH compliant. <laughs> you should have just taken that as an, an extra hour of compulsory time to <laughs> yeah, have that would a snooze. Be, yeah, that would, actually, I should have now. I should, we should have Google Pods. <laughs> that would be a perfect use for one right then and there. It would, but I don't think it would get passed. No, oh, no. Only Google can get something like a Google Pod passed. Yeah. So kicking off the show, something weird has been happening with DNS redirects. Did you read about that? I did indeed. Apparently a number of websites have been, via DNS, redirecting browsers to hosts in China. What's the deal with that? Apparently the iRoot server, that's one of the, the main root servers that runs the DNS system on the internet, that mm-hmm. one's in Sweden. Apparently that one was directing visitors to servers in China. Yes, it was rerouting all requests for uh, some quite popular websites via Chinese servers. And so international users were suddenly getting a a glimpse of what browsing the internet inside China would be like. Yeah, most of it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, most of it is getting hit by firewalls and they're seeing the censorship that people inside China would be seeing. Yeah, because the servers it was redirecting people to were inside, on on the other side from the Western point of view, of the Great Firewall of China. Indeed. And so uh, no one really knows why. No one really knows why. Nobody's put their, has been able to put their hand up and say, oops, yes, um, that, that was our fault. We, 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 we did something wrong there. Because <laughs> it seems to me that there are some people that suggest it's something malicious, that maybe China's up to no good and maybe they're poisoning the DNS or hijacking DNS requests. And then mm-hmm. there are other people that seem to say, well, no, it doesn't look like anything malicious. If anything, it could be a case of carelessness. But yeah. to, to date, no one's really figured out what was happening. But some big sites were out, as you said, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. It is. It's well, it just goes to show you how fragile the root servers are. It makes you wonder if someone wanted to do something malicious, would it be easier than we think? Yeah, it does appear to be. <laughs> uh, well, uh, depending on the, the security of actually changing things in the root servers themselves, if somebody did have compromised a, a one of the root servers, it does appear th- 
via this example, that you could definitely impact a large section of the internet. I guess if you had authorised access to the root servers and you did something malicious, an inside job if you like, you could, because that could, the changes you make, the signs you delete or redirect, effectively would get replicated amongst a whole bunch of other root servers, I presume, right? Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I haven't dug too deeply into how the, the root servers themselves work. You well, would, actually, it depends you would ex- which ones are masters. And, yeah, you yeah. would anticipate that they would not accept a single point change and then proliferate it across because you would have to have something, some mechanism of saying this is the authoritative source, this is the authoritative routing table. But you wouldn't just have one then, would you? Because that would be uh, well, that's, that's, a that's very weak the point. Thing. It's it. It does appear that in this, for this instance, with this, it just being the the iRoot service, that the the root servers themselves, depending on where you are located and what root servers your query has gone through, you just get the results from one root server. It doesn't. It's not as if you get a you know a consensus from a group of root servers. You just get one result from one root server, and that's the one that your query follows through, which does to me seem to be a specific point of weakness whereas yeah when you have this instance here where all of the other root servers had perfectly fine routing they were directing stuff to the correct addresses but we had one root server which wasn't and it affected a large portion of you know a a bunch of people and um who were only using that root server as being the authoritative source very strange indeed because people are kind of putting two and two together and saying, well, you know, what's happening with Google and China and all that sort of stuff, is this related? But yeah, it's it's hard to really tell, and I, I don't think anyone's figured it out yet. Not as far as I can see. There's been nothing noted so far about nobody's put their hands up and said, well, we know why, we know how it happens, we're sorry, <laughs> this is what we're going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. There's been none of that reported, so. Maybe that will come out in time. Hope so. Another interesting story, a botnet has successfully defeated audio captures. In fact, the ones that Microsoft Live are using. Indeed, because as some people may know, Microsoft's Live is on quite a lot of whitelists. Yeah, the servers they run are often whitelisted so that when an email gets sent from the Microsoft Live network going out to wherever its destination is, if it's on a whitelist on the recipient mail server, it'll let the mail through just like that without any questions asked. And mm. so, I, the, the as you say, the the... The impact here is the fact that once they've managed to create bogus Microsoft Live accounts, you're, you're pretty much in. Yeah. yeah, they've penetrated a whitelist and they can get past, yeah. which means that Microsoft Live would then get put on a blacklist and Microsoft has done a, a lot of work to try and prevent the live.com email service being able to be used by spammers through all of these different types of captures. And the yeah, the ability to defeat the audio capture mechanism. This is one of the first proper attempts at trying to beat an audio capture. And it's doing a pretty good job. They ran some tests for a few minutes, permitting a bot to operate freely on the the system. And within a few attempts, it was generally able to determine and bypass the the audio capture. Yeah, so how often was it getting it right? I think one in four, one in five? Uh, in most cases, it was able to get the correct answer within two tries. Wow. 
That's, yeah. that's really good. They haven't determined yet whether or not the bot's using speech recognition or whether or not it's, you know, sending off the capture to a people farm who are actually doing the, the defeating of it. And usually they'll give them free pawn for every everyone they get right. That's often how it works. Yes, generally. So in case there are people listening to us that aren't sure what an audio capture is, what it is, it's a little challenge, an audio challenge that when you sign up to a service to prove that you're not an automated program, it plays you a little audio sound of some letters and you mm. have to basically type in the letters and if you get them right, then chances are you're a human and if you get them wrong, chances are you either didn't listen <laughs> or you're a bot. Or you're a bot, mm. yeah. But you know, you know what I find interesting about the story though is that have you, look, have you actually tried an audio capture, Brett? No, the audio captures are generally only uh, are provided as an accessible alternative to the the image captures. Yeah, well, I tried them out of curiosity. I know what you're saying. You usually get the the ones that you can see, and you just type. Yeah, it. it's an image I, capture. Yeah, an image one. The, the audio ones are generally provided as the accessible alternative for people with vision impairments. Yeah, but I tried I tried a few just out of interest, and man, mm-hmm. they are hard. I I honestly could not get them. Mm. It's, well, it sounds like a whole heap of garble. Yeah, they are well, really they hard. Are, I don't know how are, do, anyone can get them. They do do exactly the same sort of thing as they do with the image captures. You know, with the image captures, there's there's spackling and different colours and different shapes and things in the background and the foreground around the the characters that it's putting in, or the the characters themselves might be slightly distorted. Well, they do the same thing with the audio capture to try and defeat things like speech recognition systems and those sorts of things from being able to run in the background and, and get the, the text out of the, the audio. They mm. play it with background noise and different tones and changes in the, the sound of the spoken characters. So, Well, they're they, not just defeating bots, they're also defeating people like me. I, I have not got one audio capture correct. <laughs> I've tried well, a few times. To, you just have to try several times. Every now and then you get to those ones with image captures where the image capture is just so atrociously distorted that you can't tell. <laughs> so you hit the give me another one. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have to do to that. try yeah. and get a get one which is a little easier to see. Actually, let's let's just play a an audio capture. Let's see if we can uh, uh, play one. And you, let's let's see if you can get this right. We'll do a little little test. Have a listen to this. That was really easy. Let's do another one. Let's play the Gmail one. So here's the Gmail audio capture. And Brett, you write down what you hear. I'll do. I'll write down what I hear, and we'll compare notes once again. So here we go. That was a much harder one because with a the other one we played, the same voice was always used for just a character. Yeah. In this one, there were definitely parts where I could not, it was the same voice saying something, but it did not sound anything like a number. Okay, let's do one more uh, Gmail one. So I'll just refresh the capture. Let's see. Actually, what did you get for that one? It was like five, then some sort of noise like nya, 
and then eight, and then yeah, then zero, four, zero, something, five, something, possibly an eight, eight, two, eight, two, seven, zero, four. You got something quite different from me. Like, I've got a three eight zero four zero five four four two one seven zero four. So we got bits that were different. Bits, yeah. Let, let me do one more Gmail one because that was an interesting example. Those are the ones that I remember, and that's how hard it is. Mm. I, I'm, I'm perfectly using, my hair using per- the same voice with a different it saying a different sound. That is definitely not a sound of a number or a letter, especially seeing as most of these audio captures are generally just digits let's try this one more time and let's see whether they're all that hard over at gmail have a listen and tell me what you think it is afterwards and i'll do the same once again Yeah, I could. <laughs> that was really hard. Yeah, that was very, very hard. Uh, what did you get? Uh, started off the same five eight zero, then a zero one zero eight zero eight something three something eight zero seven eight something. You've got something similar to me, but I've got a lot more digits in there. So I think I was interpreting some of the strange sounds as as numbers. I had well, they could f- very well have been numbers, but they just sounded very strange to me. Got the person got- has a specific kind of accent as well. Almost sounds like an, an Asian person. Yeah, it does sound like a, an Asian accent. Have a listen to what I've got. I've got five seven two eight six eight zero zero one zero one eight zero eight three nine zero eight zero seven zero eight. Wow, that's a lot of numbers. How anybody <laughs> with a vision impairment is supposed to remember those is beyond me. <laughs> well, that was really, really hard. That one is really, really hard. Well, that was Google. I wouldn't be signing up to Gmail on the audio capture, but no. which one was the easy one we did? Yahoo. Yahoo, yeah. Yahoo was quite easy, wasn't it? You Yahoo just listen was, to the kid. Yep, you just had to listen for the, the little kid's voice. Is that typical? Because that seemed very easy. Well, there was plenty of distortion there, but at least it was a cue that, you know, somebody could actually pick out. That whereas, seems, I don't know, it seemed... The, the Gmail one's definitely a lot harder. A lot harder. And a lot more numbers. Yeah, that it, is it went a huge on and on. sequence compared to the sequence of, you know, the, the visual capture. Okay, one last time. Let's do another Yahoo one. This is supposed to be that easy one that we did the first time where there was a little kid saying the numbers amongst a bunch of other noise. So have a listen to this and we'll just see if that was typical or not. So I'm going to play a capture now and we'll write down what they say and, and report back. That was kind of tricky. Oh no, that was easy. Two four one four zero eight seven. What did you get? Two four one four zero eight seven. I've got seven five zero four one four seven seven. But the how the hell did you get that? Because that's not what the little kid said at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, she said two four one four zero eight seven. No, she didn't. She said this. 
have since science nobody bugged yet. That's what little bullets are made of. Buddy, one little smush, buddy, snaps, See? Hey, no, that was different to what you said. I've now got 241487. 2414087. That's what she said. Play her again. <laughs> no. She said two, four. Okay, let's do it. We can, we, can talk, we can talk with it. Here we go. So you, you tell me after each one, you can do it. Here we okay. go. Okay. So two four one four zero eight seven. Yes, I got it this time. <laughs> so I had one wrong last time. I said seven eight seven instead of zero eight seven. Yep. Maybe it is me. But I, look, I, I think the consensus is though that the Gmail one is really, really hard. Really, really hard. It's almost impossible. It is. <laughs> you know, you know what I should do is at the end of this show we should do another Gmail one, not tell you the answer, and there'll be a prize for someone who gets it. Yes. The prize Brilliant can be a idea. Gmail account. <laughs> 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 well, anyway, back to where we where were we? In fact, I did, <laughs> it seems a while ago. We uh, were talking about a botnet being able to bypass the oh, yeah, Windows right. Live audio capture and create spam accounts. So I think the point I was making was that depending on which service it is, some of them are really, really hard to do. So mm. you'd, you'd think the Windows Live ones would be easy if, if a bot can do them. Because I, as I say, the, as we saw and as we heard, in fact, the, the Gmail ones are just near on impossible. Well, I think it's just a change in the way that the, the crooks are smartening up to this thing. Because as we mentioned earlier, it's hasn't been determined whether or not the botnet is actually using, you know, an automated speech recognition type of method to defeat the capture or whether or not it's sending to a, a, a people farm. Yeah, that's true. It to, could be, it could be a bunch of people. That. So it could very well be a bunch of people just listening to a bunch of them and putting down the numbers. Well, they wouldn't the get very far if I was part of that farm, I'll tell you that. No, no, you would not be getting your fair share of the... Um, the rewards. The rewards <laughs> from your employment in that farm. <laughs> I think that could be a good thing. All right, Microsoft has almost confirmed its courier tablet. Rumours are that they're going to do this tablet, kind of like the iPad and the 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 Slate, I think it was, from HP. And this is Microsoft's offering called the Courier, so the rumours say. Mm, it's one of the senior Microsoft executives had mentioned it on his Twitter. And yeah, a blog post has also mentioned bits about this Courier. One of the interesting things, and different from the other tablets mentioned, is the fact that the Courier is twin-screened. Opens oh, up like a, a book. like a book. Yeah, you open it up like a book. It's got two screens. Now, that could be nice. It could be. The, the other rumor about it is that it will go on sale near the end of this year and that it will run the Tegra 2 operating system, the same as the Zune HD does. Well, as long as they don't do it in brown, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure it will come out in brown. <laughs> well then it's a sure flop then isn't it <laughs> no, look, it'll this, come out uh, in shiny brown <laughs> oh well that'll be the difference <laughs> no this this could be promising I, I kind of like the, the dual screen thing I, I, for, yeah, I, I'm 
I'm a fan of the the dual dual screen, depending on the, you know, the final size of this device. Dual screen could be quite good. And it's a familiar format, people opening books, those sorts of things. It might be a very good format for book reading, depending on what the sorts of screens are. If the screen is too glossy, then, you you know, it's going to be very, it's not a great book reading device if the screen is too glossy. The only thing I would say, though, with a dual screen is how would you watch a movie? Because you'd have a gap. Well, obviously, you'd only watch it on the one. But then you'd feel cheated. Why would you feel cheated? It means you could do something else while you're watching the movie. No, you'd feel like you've only got half the resolution. How would you do that? It's the same as when you've got dual monitors. Oh, I suppose now that you put it that way. <laughs> when you've got dual monitors, you don't generally watch a movie across both monitors. That's just I, silly. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't feel cheated when you only have to watch it on the one monitor. That's true. I, I guess Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that if the total size when open is the same as the iPad, then you will kind of feel cheated. If, cause yeah, the others I, are, I would say it is probably more likely to be uh, two iPads clamshell together. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, if that's like that, then that's good. That's that'd be mm. probably a good thing. Yeah, because yeah, yeah the, the iPad and the Slate are pretty much the same size. Yeah. And so yeah. if this were, as I, you know, you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. If it turned out to be the entire device was the size of the Slate, then you might be thinking you might be done by by having a you know only being able to watch video and stuff on the one screen, but I don't think it'll be that way. At the moment, it's only a rumour still, though, isn't it? But it, it is it still only fairly... There's been no, you know, big out there official announcement, but it's a rumour from, you know, the name's been dropped by enough people of legitimate value that it's, you know, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Just like the, you remember, the, the iPad. I was surprised about that, though, because... You know, not all the Apple you were ones turn up. Actually, surprised. Well, I didn't there think. I didn't enough, think they, enough <laughs> evidence. I know, but to I didn't think they would. The announcement of the iPad for anybody <laughs> to go. Well, they're not saying anything, but all of this evidence points to the fact that they're creating a tablet. And boom, <laughs> they came out with a tablet. Yeah, but I never. So, I didn't think they would because when has Apple ever done anything mainstream? I mean, the tablet is kind of like what everyone's doing now. I I just didn't think they would. They didn't do netbooks when they were big. And they, well, they build these all-in-one things. When... Because <laughs> Steve Jobs doesn't like netbooks. He had a thing against netbooks. Yeah, that came through fairly, fairly strong. But, uh, you know, as you say, uh, it, it may well end up, this one may well end up coming out uh, to be true, just like the iPad. So that yep. will make three big ones in the running. Dell also have, have theirs as well, so, or mm-hmm. will have. So there are four big manufacturers doing them now. Yep, and there are a bunch of smaller ones doing tablets that are coming out this year. The thing that interested me the most about this Courier thing, the, the rumors coming out about the Courier, is the fact that it's going to run the Tegra, the Tegra 2 operating system, which means it will probably be able to sync with the, the live marketplace, just like the Zoom HD does. So you'll be able to have access to the other stuff from the, the live marketplace, uh, Microsoft's live marketplace. But it's the same sort of trend as what the iPad is doing with it, running on the iPhone OS, is they are internet-enabled devices that are pretty well locked in to specific frameworks. They're not running an open OS, something more like, you know, uh, Windows 7 or something like that on this tablet, which would mean you'd be able to run anything you wanted on it. Just by plugging it in or downloading it? Yeah, just by it plugging or, it in. If or, it's got USB yeah. ports, you know, you, you want to run your copy, you want to install Office on it, you can just install Office on it, but 
with it having a lockdown OS means you have to buy another version of the, the Office suite or whatever other suite they're wanting to put on it for it. If you want any other apps or anything else, they have to be completely redeveloped or ported to the Tegra 2 operating system and whatever facility through the, the live marketplace that they set up as the, the, you know, the Microsoft App Store version to run it on this device. It's not going to be an open device running a, a more open OS like Windows OS or a Unix-based OS or even Mac OS, OS X. I think that's where a lot of these devices, they are coming out. They are being a lot more locked down with the, the manufacturers, with the, the overarching developer being able to have supreme control about what goes on and runs on their system. Whereas a lot of the smaller manufacturers who are also coming out with tablet form factors this year and those that have come out with tablet and UMPC form factors in the past, because they've been around for quite some time, which run more open operating systems is the fact that you can install whatever the hell you want on them. You can develop whatever you want on them. There's nothing to restrict you, to constrain you as to what you can run uh, or put on your device. But what we're seeing now in this new wave of tablets is locked down systems, systems where somebody else gatekeeps what it is that you can put on and do and do with the system that you purchase. Well, here's what I want to know. Does it have a camera? Does it run flash? And does it have a USB port? Exactly. <laughs> does it have a camera? <laughs> that does might... it run flash? Yeah. And does it have a USB port? If it's got those three things, Watch it out, beats Steve. the iPad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if it comes in a color that's not brown. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Anything but brown. Now, Pwn to Own is on again. And IE8, Safari, and the iPhone have all fallen at Pwn to Own. Uh, so is Firefox. And Firefox, yes. Yep, Firefox fell as well. Sorry, I, I left that off. Absolutely. It's not surprising, really. When you, you put the, when the people who go to Pwn to Own are really, really onto it in this kind of oh, thing. Oh, they're very smart people. <laughs> Give them enough time. I'm sure they could crack anything that anybody says is uncrackable. So really, what do you what do you do if you're running a web browser? Well, you they're all as bad as each other. It's well, they are. It's always that way. It's the same sort of relationship you see anywhere else. There is the it's that predator and prey. There's people always discovering new ways to do something with something, and there's the people trying to stop you from doing that. And so they're always developing new ways to stop you from doing things. Fixing up holes in this way, fixing up an exploit, you know, buffer overflow, yada, 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 in these different places and other people figuring out new ways around it, especially with the fact that everything comes out with new features. When you introduce new features, you introduce new ways of bypassing stuff. The most interesting stuff about the most of these exploits for the web browsers was that, for instance, the IE exploit, it bypassed both the data execution prevention and the address space layout randomization features, which are there to try and stop you from running, you know, outside code. Yeah, now that one's kind of worrying, really, because you're not supposed to get past those things. No, you're those not. Those things that are supposed to catch. They are the things that some, are supposed to catch it and, mm. and stop you from being able to do it, but both the IE exploit and the uh, Firefox exploit, both were able to bypass the ASLR and the DEP. And of course, as with everything that comes out of Pwn to Own, they don't actually explain exactly what the exploit ways that, you know, way that they hacked them, uh, giving the appropriate companies and organizations a chance to patch. Which is the right thing police, to do. Which is yeah. the right thing to do, exactly. But it's a yeah, it's interesting that you know they could over they could overcome it. 
Well, they'll have to include Microsoft's new tablet at Pondering next year. I'm sure the iPad will be as well. Well, yeah, and the iPad, yes. Mm. Well, if the iPhone fails, I'm sure the iPad will too. I'm sure it will too, because, well, they both run the same OS. That is the thing with that. If you are able to exploit the iPhone, you can exploit the iPad. Yeah, in theory, I guess, yeah, in theory you can. Yeah. Right, Wikipedia has had the same interface, the same user interface for over 10 years now. I know. And for the first time... What a brilliant interface it has been. Well, it's actually really good, but for the first time, they're actually going to change it, make some radical changes to the way it looks. But, you know, I was thinking it's fine. What's wrong with it? Well, they say it's a radical overhaul to the way that it looks. But when you actually do a comparison of the two different looks of it, the the one that's currently going in beta, the new one, and the, the old one, it is... Not that massive a paradigm shift, really. It is moving little aspects of it into places where they have, you know, over the years become the standard place for those sorts of things when you look at web pages. So, for instance, one of the biggest things they're doing is they're moving the search dialogue. Yeah. They're moving it from where it's currently been to, yeah, top right, which is where you generally find a search bar somewhere near the top right of a page on any website. So they're just doing these other things and some minor graphical upgrades to some other stuff and some upgrade, a slight modification to the classic um, Wikipedia logo. So it won't be anything like the upgrade that eBay did a few years back? No, nothing quite so drastic. When you look at it, it's still very much Wikipedia. You'd still recognize it, right? Yeah, you'd still recognize it instantly as being Wikipedia. It's just that certain things have had slight graphical upgrades, slight positioning changes to be in positions which are more comfortable and more, you know, across the board standard across other websites. I quite like it. I will definitely be making sure that my Wikipedia account sticks with the, the new upgrade. Oh, so you've got an account. You're a, a, a contributor? I am indeed a Wikipedia contributor. You don't have a Wikipedia account, Edwin? No, no, I don't. I, then who, who edits the Boys of Tech entry? Ah, well, yeah, well, that's a good point. You know what? I have edited pages, though, just by clicking the edit page and make a couple of minor changes and then submit. And mm. I don't know what happens to them, but they seem to stick. Yeah, well, unless, you, unless you've made a really horrible change or a, you know, a fraudulent change, the change will stick. I corrected a few grammatical errors. I, I myself have done that as well. I did the sweet through. But you know, you know what worries me, though, is that the people that review those changes, if they're not clued up in grammar and they think it's wrong because it sounds odd, but it's just that they're used to speaking the, the wrong way, mm-hmm. I worry that they're going to put it back to the way it was. But, ah, I, but I then to you just to get tech. to have a nice little debate on the discussion, ah, yeah. <laughs> the discussion page for that article. Well, you know <laughs> what? I, al- the grammar. <laughs> I almost created an account a couple of times because... One of the things I've noticed most about Wikipedia is that a lot of the entries tend to be very US centric. And yes. like for one example recently was uh, what do they call them in America? Caravans. They call them they call them travel trailers. That's right. They call them travel trailers. And like who in the world calls a caravan a travel trailer? Well, okay, the US does, but no one else does. Yeah. And, you know, Wikipedia have actually got a policy that the term you use as the primary term, and all others redirect to that, is the one that is used most widely. Yes, and there's, there's been a, quite a few debates, you know, in a number of pages. One of them is the travel trailer one, and there's another one 
It was the same sort of thing. There was this huge discussion as to what something should be called. Those are the kinds of times where I almost signed up and thought I'd join in the discussion, but I decided I had other things to do and never happened. But really, a travel trailer. What's a travel trailer? I don't know. I think it might be one of those things you hook onto the back of your caravan if you've got extra stuff to take with you. Yeah, well, that's what it sounds like. A little, an extra, a a trailer for a caravan. Or like one of those little trailers, those covered trailers they have on the back of shuttles. Oh, yeah, those. Yeah. What's what's their name anyway? Do they have a special name? No, I, I don't think so. I think they're probably just called covered trailer. Maybe they're called Box on Wheels. Who knows? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Google it. See if they know. <laughs> Check it on Wiki. Oh, I'll have to do that at some point. But yeah, that's certainly not the, the uh, key topic for this podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're no. Kind of... We're talking about the UI upgrade for Wikipedia. <laughs> ah, that's right. Yes, I remember now. Well, we've done that story anyway. Moving on to, ah, well, that's it then, actually. Yeah, it is. That's, that's, that's it. That's the international, the international stories. stories. We're done. Well, we reached that end pretty quickly, didn't we? Excellent. And sticking with tradition, we'll take a very short break, and when we come back, we'll cover the two New Zealand stories for this week. All right, welcome back. Now, Visa is announcing that they're going to upgrade our old-fashioned magnetic swipe credit cards to chip and pin ones. All cards that are expiring and rolling over and all new Visa cards um, issued in New Zealand will be chip cards uh, from now on, though there are already quite a number of people with chip cards. So I'm looking forward to this because I think Visa, uh, what's driving them is they're noticing a rise in the amount of credit card fraud here in New Zealand. Hmm. I think they're noticing a rise in credit card fraud across the world, globally. Well, yeah. And in fact, New Zealand is still one of the lower, the countries with one of the lower rates. Mm. But it's supposed to be more secure, isn't it, these chip and It is ones? supposed to be more secure. The contents of the chip uh, is all encrypted. You have to put in a PIN when you use the card. There's no just signing for a card. So it's supposed to be uh, a lot more secure. Supposed to be because... What were they? Researchers from a British university have already demonstrated a way to use a stolen chip credit card without knowing the PIN. Really? That's not supposed to be possible. It's not supposed to be possible, but with the way that the the point-of-sale systems uh, currently work, you can fool them. And the way they, they demonstrated this is they take the card, the stolen card, uh, and connect it up to a laptop computer, which they keep in, you know, they hide in a bag. Then they have some uh, little thin wire coming out of the computer and threaded through the person's clothes and down to a fake card, which the person holds and places in the point of sale machine. And then the person just needs to put in any pin they want, 0000, for instance, and it will work. They've demonstrated that through their system, using what they've developed on their on their computer, they can get past the need for the pin. It's defeating the fact that you need a pin to access these credit cards. And that's one of the, the main parts about this is the fact that if your credit your chip card gets stolen, uh, because the contents of the chip are supposed to be encrypted and undecipherable, and you need a pin to use the card anywhere, it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to defeat the facts of somebody using your card if they steal it. The point-of-sale machines that they're using in the UK, they can, with their system, use your card without requiring the PIN. 
So a customer using a card or rather inserting a card into a terminal to make a purchase, you don't know whether they're using a legitimate card or using a dummy card that's hooked up to a laptop in their bag with a stolen card with it and mm. making a purchase on that other person's account. Yep. Unless you're eagle-eyed, you, you wouldn't even know. So chip and pin isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Well, the credit card companies, Visa and such, are saying that they are looking into this and they will be modifying the point-of-sale machines to defeat this. And Visa, when they're rolling out in New Zealand, say it's not going to affect the New Zealand systems. Oh, I see. So what we're going to get here in New Zealand is going to be immune to that sort of attack. Well, it's what they're it's what they've been saying. That's what they say. It's, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's whether or not it actually is or isn't will be we will find out, won't we? Well, mine expires in May this year, so I'm looking forward to getting my new chip and pin one. That'll be um, great. Indeed, mine expires next month, so I should be getting mine very think, soon. Yeah, in fact, yeah, April. I could possibly have one already. <laughs> you, you may <laughs> well need have to. Check to yeah. My mail. <laughs> Right, well, that's Visa chip and pin. The other story I wanted to talk about is, well, this is really not news anymore. Telecom had another XT outage and CDMA outage. You know what I think, Brett, we should do is start reporting on weeks that they don't. Yes, we should at the we should conclude each show with a, and there's been nothing wrong with the XT network. <laughs> yeah, because that, that would be news. Yes. <laughs> Except it wouldn't be each show, would it? Be a few here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I'm not going to talk about the story. I just wanted to mention that there's been another one, so we are keeping tabs on them. Another disruption. Well, it was a minor disruption. You know, some intermittent faults. Yeah, with voice and uh, texting between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. So it is very minor. and But, you know, it, it does... And it was across both their networks. So this is something yeah, more X- primary to their, to their systems than just the XT itself. Well, they don't think it was related to the other outages they had. So, mm. But it, it really doesn't give you a lot of confidence in the XT brand. That's, that's what it's doing, really. It's damaging the XT brand. Well, all of this, any fault that they have from now on will damage the XT brand, even if it's not the XT network's fault. Because they've had such a lot of trouble with the beginning of it that, yeah, anything now is just going to be salt on the wound. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And there's, it's going to be very hard for them to build that, back, that trust back up again. Mm. All right, Brett, I think that's pretty much it. I'm going to hit the travel trail and get out of here. <laughs> and, and I'll see you again next week. Okie dokie. I'd like to thank you for hosting the show with me. Always a pleasure, Edwin. And thank you to everyone else listening to us. See you again next week for episode 60. Till then, bye-bye. Hello.